everybody says it and nobody believes it. Everybody says, you know, this could happen, this could happen. But, and I think it's human nature not, not to think it's going to be you because I think that would be too big of a cloud to live under. Hmm. But, and I will say this, you can do things you never thought you could do. And I have to say, I'm eternally grateful. I didn't know beforehand because until you are in that situation, you do not know the strength that you have and you do not know the opportunities that you're going to be given or the, the kindness of others. But yes, a roller coaster and it's still a roller coaster. Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Living with aphasia is hard. Caregiving is hard. You are not alone. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So. Put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life. So, Misty, tell us. This has been a heck of a roller coaster for you guys these three years. It. Phew. And that is a good way to put it for someone who hates roller coasters because I hate roller coasters. I always have. In fact, the last one I was on, I prayed to God, you get me off of it and I will never go. On. <laughs> and I think I was 13 <laughs> and I meant it never again. But yes, it has been a roller coaster and it has been, I've learned so much. I've learned so much about the unexpected. Everybody says it and nobody believes it everybody says you know this could happen this could happen but and I think it's human nature not not to think it's going to be you because I think that would be too big of a cloud to live under Hmm. but and I will say this you can do things you never thought you could do and I have to say I'm eternally grateful I didn't know beforehand because until you are in that situation, you do not know the strength that you have and you do not know the opportunities that you're going to be given or the, the kindness of others. But yes, a roller coaster and it's still a roller coaster. It's not it's not quite as high. Some days it feels like the beginning, but for the most part. I'm not sure if I'm getting used to the ride or if the ride's getting not quite as scary. I don't know. Probably a combo of both, I'd say. So So let's go back. Tell us a little bit about uh, about this roller coaster. What was life like before? And then what happened three years ago? And then where are you now? Well, I had retired from teaching. I'd been retired for a year. And Glenn was looking to retire in one more year. So it would have been that he would work two more years after me. And he's going to take that last year of work and get all of the little things that need to be done to his body because he, he worked for the railroad and you can use that time as sick leave. 
and you still get paid. It's a great setup. So he had, you know, some shoulder things and he's always had a bad knee. And he, in fact, he had had it scoped many years ago. So he just went in for routine knee surgery. It went well. I took him home. He, he, we followed doctor's orders. And the next afternoon we were sitting at home and our little grandbaby was there with our son and daughter-in-law and he started making these yawning sounds. Well, now I know he was trying to get oxygen to his brain is what he was trying to do, but he, he had a stroke. I, I knew he had a stroke just by just a little bit of a drool. And we called 911. By the time they got there, which was just a few minutes, he he could speak again. He was he seemed to be okay. So, you know, we were under the impression that it probably was, you know, a mini stroke, a, a, what is it, a TIA? Mm-hmm. TIA, yep, transient ischemic attack. And took him to the local hospital, waiting, I was waiting in the waiting room. And when the surgeon... No, the neurologist came out and said he is having a massive stroke right now. And then I have to say that was the defining moment of before and after. And he had to be transferred to a bigger hospital. The surgeon said he can come out the same. He can come out better or he can come out worse. Now, I am very grateful that even though he had knee surgery, they did give him a clot busting drug. They did. And I was afraid they would not do that because of his recent surgery. Thank God they did. Because by the time we got to the hospital, he seemed to be perfectly fine. And I will tell you that I think it's just kind of like the kind of a cloud that came over me that it never dawned on me that he might die. And it truly never dawned on me that he wouldn't be able to speak. I just, I will, it naive, probably a little bit numb. But I just, I just had no idea that it would be the worst case scenario as far as speech and aphasia would go. The worst case as far as him being able to verbalize. And I st- it took a long time because he was in the hospital, in ICU, then he's in step down. Then he was away for 11 months in a rehab center for brain injuries, three hours away from home. So that meant me picking up and moving so that I could be with him. And it just took a long time because nobody wanted to say, nobody wanted to say this, he's not going to speak. And I get it. They did. You don't know. The brain is such a, such a amazing organ. You don't know. And so you wish, you know, for spontaneity. And in one time he did, he said my name, he went D, 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 D. And I was like, we were both just so thrilled, but you know, that was it. That was the only time he did it. And, but you think at the moment, oh, it's coming back. It's all coming back, but it's been a, it's been a ride. And we were, we were planning on retiring, lots of travel plans, worked hard all our life, really, really felt like we had earned the right to retirement. You know, he was 60, barely 60. And it's just, on the outside looking in, it seems like such a gross injustice, such a terrible injustice. But, you know, it, it really, you can't live that. You can't live that. You cannot continue to live that it's an injustice. Yes, it is. But the world is full of injustices. And this is the one that we have been dealt. And I will say that you don't know the strength you have 
through family, through friends, through God, through your spiritual relate, through everything that you you just grab onto anything you can just to keep going. But I would, you know, and I, I remember saying, surely he, surely, surely he'll be able to speak or he'll be able to walk. Surely it won't be that he's in a wheelchair and he can't speak. I just couldn't fathom it because he's such a busy person. His favorite thing to do was work. He loved to work. He not just at his job, but he loved to put in air conditioners for people. He would help people. He was at doing things for people at churches or widows that didn't have any money. He put their air in for them and just all kinds of things. And he loved being busy. And it just, it was just amazing. But I have to say, even with all that's happened, he's, his attitude is truly something to be admired, truly something because he's, he just, and I'm grateful, grateful, grateful that he is still, he still has his personality. I'm so grateful for that. When I met the two of you, Glenn was having issues just even stopping talking. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what that was like to live with. Oh, you know how it feels when someone's tapping you on the shoulder continually? Tap, 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 tap. That's kind of what it was like. It was kind of like that. And when he first started saying anything, it was... I want to get this right now because it has changed. Mm -hmm. it, it was me, God. That was me, God, me, God, me, God. And I'm like, are you praying or are you complaining? Or is it just, you know, random? And then it went to Mia, 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 Mia. And right now it's much less than it was. But when he gets frustrated and when it's, you know, he's over, overstimulated, it's me, no me no and some people think he's saying like he's expressing no I don't want to do that or you know but honestly I just think that's what comes out because he can't control he can't control it and there's lots of whistle sounds and swishing noises that, that go along with it when he's trying to express himself so we just kind of have to stop and say wait but you're right when we first met you it was oh he couldn't stop it. He couldn't he stop it. Mm -mm. It was, and it, when we really worked on it, we did get him to inhibit all of that. And when he started inhibiting and got him to just close his mouth, don't let anything come out, mm -hmm. his comprehension improved. Oh, so much. His processing improved. Mm -hmm. He was now hearing, I almost think, for the first time, now he's hearing you instead of just experiencing almost existence in a bubble, right? Like, like I would imagine like one of those deep sea diving helmets or, you know, like the NASA suit. Just lost in there and, and, you know, almost in a way locked in because he wanted so desperately to express something. And now body language, you could tell sometimes tone of voice you could tell but he 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 couldn't say mm-hmm or mm-mm he still had you know he's, we still have lots of trouble with vowels and as far as verbalization goes we, we're still non-existent as far as him anything voluntary yeah 
And you know what? I will tell you that the fact that I can say that three over three years later without falling into a puddle of goo and sobbing my just sobbing is huge to me. It is it is just huge that I can say that. Just as a matter of fact, that's that's the way it is. And and I anticipate that that's the way it's going to be. But that's why we're working on it is to other forms of communication. And and I, you know, I had never really thought about that. That I just thought you have to speak. Right. Well, this is where we have learned how amazing he is. Because mm -hmm. now just an eyebrow raise, or if he turns his head slightly, mm -hmm. you completely see his personality. Right. You know exactly what he's trying to tell you without the words. Mm -hmm. When I'm working with the, the two of you and you're sitting side by side and he gives you that like side eye thing. <laughs> yes. Oh my word. It speaks volumes. So mm -hmm. he has learned the subtle art of communicating without the words, but his body language, his facial expression, like you said, his intonation, mm -hmm. how he might pause Right. Right. It's just, it's, I wish if there is anything I could do for that man, give him his words. It's not for lack of trying on our effort. Oh, absolutely. We're trying every angle we can. Mm -hmm. But once we pivoted to not torturing him, I joke all the time about torturing people, but once we pivoted to communication, mm -hmm. that's really when it all opened up. Yes, because that is very stressful for him. And you can see it in his body language. You see he holds his breath. And but see, nobody, you as a lay person, you don't know, you don't realize that lack of verbal communication isn't just your words, it's your vocal cords, it's what you think, but it's your jaw, it's knowing where to put your tongue. It's it's things that we just take for granted and we just do. We, we No one thinks about that. You just, you just right. do it. And everything for him has to be purposeful. Everything that he does. And uh, I'm glad we still challenge him to, to say some sounds and, and that sort of thing. But I'm so glad we focus on the communicating part because that is what, that's what we need it to make any kind of a laugh with each other to be able to 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 laugh and to you know to to have moments together takes mm -hmm. so he's got some strategies and some tasks he can do with his grandkids when they come to visit we've been yes. very purposeful about that because that's yes. quality of life for him they don't seem to be put off that he can't Not in the least they they love their Gigi and it's very important for them and they boss him around when they need to boss him around and oh, and he he's had them. enough he pushes back and I mean I can remember distinctly one of them was playing with a cord on the on a stained glass lamp and he kept looking and what and she was probably two and a half at the time and, you know, parents were kind of oblivious what was going on. And he looked at her and there was no question. He was saying, get down and leave that alone. And, and my daughter-in-law said, wow, 
Gigi, you don't need words to say what exactly what you meant. We all knew that. And, and that's the truth. That's true. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for every bit of communication we get. And honestly, most of the time, it's not a victory the first time. I always tell him oh, we might not get it right now, but we will get it. And many times I'll take a photo and if it's something outside that he's, because he's notorious for pointing for out something, I'll take a photo, bring it back in, enlarge it, see if it's in there. If it's not, we'll figure it out one way or the other, even if we have to get in the car and find mm -hmm. it. So that's right. You guys always, I think you've pretty well solved all of some of these mysteries that have come up over Mm -hmm. Because what's so interesting also about him is he is not just in himself. He sees what's going on and he processes what's going on. Yes, he and does. He's all about problem solving and telling you how to fix something. Right. But sometimes he leaves out the first two, three steps mm -hmm. and jumps to, you know, the concluding paragraph of how you're supposed to fix something. And it's hard to, get context. And that's something we're still working on, but the man thinks outside of himself. If he sees something wrong in the house, he lets you know about it. He's very yeah. observant. He's still problem solving. And it, it is heartwarming for me to see that, that he isn't just sitting in his chair watching TV. He, he does look for things. We went to get filters today for air conditioning. And I'm like, we just changed our filter. It was not for us. It's for my dad. He knew, he knew, he knew what he was looking for. I didn't have a clue. You know, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I'm learning to trust that he knows. That's right. He knows. And I want to be respectful of his opinion and in his knowledge and his expertise, because we were pretty much a, a straight down the line of I do this and you do that. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know all the things that he knows, but he still knows it. That's right. Yeah. And he's the best passenger seat driver ever. Mm -hmm. We don't even have to put him in the back seat. Oh, no. Oh, he no. tells you what for and how to. Uh -huh, there, and when you know, he is displeased. Oh, yes. Yes. And and we have come to terms. I, I, I tease him all the time. I don't know if I'm a better driver or if you just accept that I'm not a good driver, which I am a good driver. But I will tell you, the male ego is definitely alive and well. He, <laughs> he, he just thinks he is the best. So, okay. But I, I have always hated to drive and he loved to drive. So that worked out great for us. But that's another one of those things. You just have to figure it out. And the things that you don't think you can do, you can. You can do it. You can do it. You made a comment about you did certain things before and he did certain things. Mm -hmm. Talk to us just a little bit about how your role has changed. You have a lot of hats. In every way. My life has changed in every way. From the moment when he had the stroke and I realized I needed power of attorney, which I'm going to tell you, don't, you know, don't wait. Do it, do it while you're healthy. Do it all while you're healthy because your mind is so frazzled. 
but I, just the financial things and getting a, a bank account with just my name on it. Because did you know that you cannot take someone off of a bank account unless they're deceased? He, he, you can't, you cannot take it. I could not take his name off of our joint account because he's still my husband and he's still, you know, present. So we had to make a new account with just all these things, all of these things. And just making decisions about insurance and, and talking to and fighting with insurance to keep him in rehab and then them stopping payment. And I'm trying to finagle with the, with the facility, just things I never did. He always did all that. He just always did. And just also just the day today things. Now we're, uh, we're very blessed that we have someone that takes care of our lawn, but just spraying for the bugs, spraying for weeds, taking care of all the correspondence, all the groceries, all the money, everything that comes into this house is through me. And I just, you know, never, ever, ever thought about being the one in charge for the inside, the outside. If something breaks, I'm learning how to YouTube it, figure it out myself. Amen. And I'm proud of myself for doing that. Yes. You no. Know? You just have to do what you have to do. And now he'll give his opinion and, and I will, I will take it. He know, if he knows how to do it, fine. We'll figure it out together. And we have the, the doorknob was loose. I couldn't figure out. He showed me exactly where I need to put the screwdriver, just little things, but yeah, just even down to killing the spider. I was never the spider killer. He always killed the spider. Well, I've killed a spider. I've killed a snake. I've, you just do what you need to do. You just do it. Yeah. And, and you find out you're more resilient than you ever thought you were. That's right. What a way to find out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a good way to find out at all. But, and, you know, I also think that it's easy if it's not you if you're not in that position, it's easy to think I could never do that. But I truly think it's a God-given strength when you are in it, you do it. You do it. And, and if there's times when you can't, you find somebody who can. I have found that out a lot. I don't know everything. I can ask an accountant. I can ask somebody that, you know, a tree trimmer. I can ask whoever because I don't know everything. And, and that's out of my comfort zone as well. I, I'd rather be quiet and just do my little thing and not have to do that, but take a chance, do it. How have you learned to cope? What are your mechanisms for taking care of yourself? How, how is, how is that, has that evolved over these last? I will tell you at the beginning, I didn't, I didn't. I was on autopilot moved three hours away with my daughter and my little baby. She was 18 months old when Glenn had his stroke. I don't know how I did. I look back and I don't know how I did it. I didn't take care of myself as far as eating. Nope. I cried all the time. I cried, I cried, I cried, I cried. And my little granddaughter, Karina, would go to her daycare center and I would go back to bed and I would lay there in bed until I had to get up and get ready to go visit Glenn because visiting hours were from five to eight 
And I basically lived for those three hours and, and did what I had to do in between as far as legal work. But I look back on that and it was absolutely horrible. I didn't take my medication. I didn't. Everything was a chore. A shower was a chore. Brushing your teeth was a chore. Figuring out what you were going to wear was a chore. I could not make a decision. I couldn't do. It was like a brain fog. I, I ran a stop sign by accident. Had a, ter had a wreck. I, I remember on the side of the road. And the police officer was there and he said, ma'am, are you okay? And I said, no. And he goes, where are you hurt? And I just looked, I just thought, I don't know. It was, I physically was not hurt, but at that moment, I didn't want to be there. I did not want to be there. The pain was just too much. It was just too much. And, and then the officer and my daughter, I knew they were talking about me. I thought they're going to, they're going to admit me to a psychiatric unit. And at that moment, you know, I look back and I probably needed it. I probably did, but it was awful. And I can't, I can't, I think I started doing a little better when I came back home. I had to come home because of COVID. He was still in long-term treatment. And March the 8th was the last time I saw him until June the 19th. And, I, you know, we were in lockdown, so there was no point in me going anywhere. There was no place to go. So I would try my best to FaceTime him. It was so difficult because he, of course, he can't speak. And I was blessed to be able to talk to the nurses and that sort of thing. But those months gave me some reprieve because I was back home and that was hard too, because it's almost like a death. You're, you're coming into your house. Things are exactly where they were when you, when we left. I mean, the pair of pants that he had worn the day before was still, you know, over the chair. The, it was all coming back to that same scenario, which was difficult. And I still cried every day, but I also started to get a little bit of a bearing on my life. Mm -hmm. it's been slow going oh, it, and it's not linear at all not at all there are some days I think we're good we're doing pretty well and other days the grief hits you right between the eyes again so I would never want anybody to say that you try hard enough and it's going to be a happy ending hopefully it's a happy ending but it's not the happy ending you thought it was going to be but I, I will say that I truly when I joined the support group when I talked to people who understood, that gave me the incentive to go out, start walking, go to therapy, just realize that if I don't take care of myself, I can't help him. But all, that's it, that was a good, what, two years? Could How be. Long? Two, <laughs> wow, times and times of flying, T. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was a, it was. It was quite a while because you're kind of in yourself. You're in your grief. You don't want to grieve your family. You don't want to bother. I never wanted to, to unburden on my parents. Although as parents, they know they're hurt. They're hurt for us. And, but it was like, I didn't feel like I had anybody that, I, that would understand for one thing. And then I really felt like, geez, everybody has their own stuff. Everybody has their own stuff and you just don't want to, 
you know, you don't want to unburden on everybody, but the support group was one of the very, very most important thing. And if I could say anything, join a support group, join a support group. And if it's not the right one, find another one. That's right. That's right. Because all of them won't be a good fit. I mean, we've been blessed. We have a small, intimate group and everybody gets along. Everybody supports each other outside of group too. Yeah. And I find it interesting that we have people that have children still at home. You have people who don't have children at home or, and in one case, it's not even a a blood relative that's in the group, but they're all they all come from a place of authenticity. Yes. And I'm telling you, when you can hear people just just say whatever's on their mind, I'm just like, wow, talk about acceptance. That's acceptance to say, this is the way I feel today, or this is what I think about that. And you're not thinking about what's someone going to think about me. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. And if you don't have that in your support group, then don't bother. Go somewhere else. Because if it's got to be something that you can't be honest with and you can't be who you are, it's it's almost counter into it's 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 just it's not it's counterproductive to me. Mm-hmm. Because you're just gonna keep that stress in and probably make it worse. There's been a lot of support, a lot of great problem solving ideas. One of our members talked to you about the walking group that you eventually started and it really turned things around for you. Really, really. And I would say as far as self-care, that was the first thing I did for self-care. And it just started with, okay, just a little 20 minutes. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I can remember speaking with someone in another support group that that didn't work out it was at the very beginning of Glenn's stroke and I remember this one someone was saying talking about doing something for yourself and the facilitator said well what about getting your nails done and this woman said well I got my last time I did I do like to get my nails done the last time I did it was like two years ago and I can remember in that moment in time thinking two years why would you wait two years but at that moment my husband was still in long-term care he wasn't at home I didn't understand that it could be two years you know you don't know but it that that really was the 20 minutes of walking and Glenn's gotten better physically I can leave him a few hours. He's fine on his own. He and he will he will even point because there's a certain place where I walk and he'll point down the road asking me if I'm going to go for my walk because he knows it's good for me. You know, and he'll ask me if I took my medicine or if I'm eating too much bread, he'll shake his head because he knows it bothers my stomach. You know, so he still attempts to take to take care of me. He makes sure I fasten my seatbelt. He, you know, but so those are all good things that self-care really, you know, it's really, really important. But the, the support group was the first. It was, it was the first. So thank you. 
My pleasure. So let's talk a little bit more about the grieving process. I think a lot of people don't think about, well, your person is still here. He's still here. You get to sleep next to him every night now. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you grieving? And I think there's a lot of misconception. And I also think there's a bit of stigma about it. I agree. I agree. And I will tell you something that I truly feel that you can grieve with the person still there. I think people grieve if there's any kind of change. I think I think we tend to think grief is only through death, but grief can be even a good change. Your child going off to college, there's a grief. Your Gee, child, I can't grief. relate with that one at all. Right, right, exactly. But there's a grief there. But there it's is. a good change, but it's a change. There's grief, of course, if your little animal dies, that's a huge grief. The loss of a house is a grief. The loss of, of anything that was a, an expectation or something that was dear to you is a grief. But I will say that I have grieved everything. There's not anything that I have. I mean, really, there was a time when I would kill the spider and cry. Not because I didn't want to kill the spider, but because that was what he did. You missed that. Or... The fact that, yes, I get to sleep with him at night, but the way that it just happens to work out is I'm on his affected side. He can't put his arm around me. That's a great. you solved that one time. We did. We did. You, but you, and you have to work at it. Is that as important? Is that on the top of the, the list? No, but it's a grief. The grief of him not picking picking out, you know, the clothes that he can wear. Well, the grief that he can't wear, but that he doesn't wear a belt and jeans is a really big grief. That he wears more like uh, sports pants that have elastic. The grief that he didn't have a wallet for forever. Because there was, where is he going with a wallet? You know, we've had to evolve over all of this stuff. The grief that he doesn't drive, the grief of the loss of him not being able to sing to our grandbabies. I I mean, or the little things that he did with our kids that he can't do with his grandchildren. You know, the little silly things he would say. Or just the grieving process is day by day and minute by minute. It really, really is. And some days are worse than others. And there have been days where I have said, Glenn, I, he'll try to tell me something. And I'll say, is it an emergency? And he'll say, no. I said, well, can you please just wait? Because if you're in the middle of grief and you're upset or if you're just despondent, I don't have any more to give. I don't, I don't have the brain capacity to try to figure out what he wants. And it's hard. And I will tell you this, I have had to remind myself that we're in the grief together because we express it so differently. Mm-hmm. He's, I've always been expressive and very emotional. And, you know, I've just always have been. And he had, he's really not, he's much more practical unless someone else is crying. Now, if someone else cries, he will cry with them every single time. And he's ups- he'll look at me like, you know, what's, what's wrong. And I can't really tell him because I can't put my finger on it. It's the whole thing. It's the fact that our life is not what I thought it would be. And there's that deep 
disappointment. But the grief process, it doesn't go away. I will not ever say that it goes away, but it gets better. It gets better. There's always, there's always that sensitive, sensitive spot. It's like a, a bruise. As you know, a bruise gets better, and as long as you don't touch it, it doesn't hurt. But sometimes it's touched and it hurts. And that bruise is a bruise to your heart and soul. And 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 I've told him many times, I wish I could take it from you. I wish it could be me. And I don't say that anymore because he shakes his head no. You know, mm. that upsets him when I say that. Mm. So, but I'm very blessed that I have a man who is not bitter. He isn't. He's not bitter. No. He doesn't sit and ponder what he can't do anymore. He still goes to his garage and he'll piddle and sort and move stuff that I'm surprised. He thinks. He thinks about it. He he takes his, my goodness, his huge chain of keys and he can figure out what goes where. And I just, you know, I can see him. I've got a camera. I can see, make sure he's okay. But he goes and he does something. He doesn't just sit around and mm-hmm. and wait to die, you know, because that's what you could do. We could do that. We could just roll the carpet in and stay here. But we would look at the blessings that we would miss out on. Yeah. Because it all isn't just you and your stroke. It's not all just you and your illness. I think there's great value in helping your grief by helping somebody else. And I intend to use my experience to help somebody. If I don't, I feel like I have devalued it. Hmm. It's holy. It's, It's like a holy thing that I can give to somebody else. It's sacred. It's that important to me that if I can express something that happened to me and that was so difficult for me, if I can make it a little easier for somebody else. Now, I will never go far as, so far as to say it's quote unquote worth it. I won't say that it's worth it, but I will say that it gives it value. Hmm. I think you're amazingly resilient. Your husband is amazingly resilient. You guys are figuring this out day by day. What I appreciate about each of you is you don't hide from the hard stuff. You pull up your big girl pants and, you know, hell or high water. Yes. And And when you need help, you ask for help. You have people that will reach out in your community or if you have to find other professionals yes. to help you do things. Yes. And I think people just can't hide away. We have to try. You have to, because even if you hide, you can't run from it. <laughs> it's still there. It is there. Where, what, where, what is it? Wherever you go, there you are. It's yeah. Trip. You're still, <laughs> it's still there. And nothing that you do to numb yourself 
is going to be beneficial in the long run. You might as well face it. You might as well face it because it's it's just going to be harder. Yeah. And you've missed out on something. You've missed out. If you've have you've missed out on a smile or you've missed out on a laugh from somebody or a moment of connection or just a deep breath. You've missed out on something if you continue to try to hide it and huddle under the covers. Yeah. So, so any last words? We'll wrap it up for this evening. And I'm grateful to you, Dee. I'm going to interrupt your thought right there. I'm just grateful to you. I've learned so much. Our candid conversations in and out of group. Thank you, because I feel like it was it was not coincidence that we found you. Absolutely not. And you've been, you're the bridge. You're the bridge. And we are so thankful and so appreciative every single week. And you're, you're our friend now. You're, you're family now. Oh, you're, you're family. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so the same. It's like, yeah, we're, you're stuck with us. But the only way I know to end it is don't give up. Don't give up. There was a moment in time I was so despondent that I looked at Glenn and I said, are you happy? And he said, yes. And Genevieve, I don't know what I would have done if he'd said no. It was the point of desperation. But don't give up because it's better days are coming. Don't just don't give up. Just there. there there's hope. There is. It's not, it's not happily ever after fairy tale. It doesn't mean you're not going to hurt. It doesn't mean you're going to not going to wish it away. But there is hope. There's hope. Thank you, Dee. You're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. So I hope you liked hearing those candid thoughts from Dee. So after I stopped the recording, she and I talked for, oh, I don't know, the last 25 minutes. And uh, I just really enjoy my time and talking to her and hearing her insights. But what I wanted to read to you, and this is not the most professional way to do it, but uh, she sent me an email earlier and I thought the words were particularly meaningful. So I just wanted to read them to you as just kind of a wrap up for this episode. Having hope does not mean absence of pain. Self-care goes beyond spas, vacations, and massage. Everywhere you go, you still take your burden and grief. Now it's important to do those things. Respite care is vital, but I think it has to be tempered with reality. To me, self-care involves self-reflection. How do I feel in my body? If I'm off, do I need exercise, a nap? Am I ill? How do I feel in my mind if I'm troubled? Do I need to talk to someone? Cry? Read? Oh, sorry. Read inspirational material? Do something for another person, maybe? Therapy? Medication? How do I feel in my spirit? If I'm despondent, do I need to pray or meditate? Speak with clergy? Make a gratitude list? In all of this, together is better. It's tempting to huddle under the covers and pull down the blinds. That's okay for a bit, but it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Disappointment, grief, fear of the future, financial issues, legal issues, medical issues. 
You just have to meet wherever, whatever goal you can accomplish, like eating an elephant one bite at a time. While I was thinking of the flooding analogy, I realized that after you grieve for the precious things you can't get back, and there may be many to find, you don't realize them all at once. It comes back to being grateful for lives saved. So at the end of the day, you find gratitude in having what's most important. Glenn and I had two cool encounters today. One involved a little girl, maybe 10 years old, talking to him in the waiting room about a book she was reading. The other adventure involved driving to a commercial supply store Glenn requested so often for HVAC equipment. It was amazing to watch him and the clerk figure out what Glenn wanted. Fortunately, they knew each other and it was a victory. I just wanted to share those last thoughts with you and thank you again for joining. And I know it was a little long this time, but I hope you heard something valuable from Dee and I look forward to seeing you all next time. Have a good night. Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.